Greetings, friends, and welcome to uh, a new edition of Conversations with Calcaterra. It's been a little while, but uh, I'm happy to be back and happy to be back uh, having a conversation with a, a good friend of mine located in the great city of Manhattan, New York City, uh, currently going through, you know, dealing with the coronavirus. We all are. We're, uh, you know, stay at home. But uh, I hope you have the time to take a listen, learn a little bit more about the art of screenwriting. You know, we talk a little bit about television and things of that nature. So just honored and, uh, you know, happy to have Craig Knobs as a friend. And we've been talking about this podcast for quite a while and just haven't been able to pull the trigger until now. So happy to do so. The episode, we start out with a, a tune from uh, Craig's friend, Dave Malerba and his band Sea Home Electric. Craig tells me uh, about another band that uh, Dave has called The Swells. He sent me that in an email. So check that out. And uh, I just started on, on Facebook, and I think I'll extend it to Twitter, uh, the Casey's Song of the Day. Just trying to promote friends of mine. I'm, I'm friends with a lot of musicians, love music, love their art, and uh, just doing what I can to um, just promote some of the songs that I really enjoy. A lot of indie bands that you may never have heard of. And so I'm hoping you'll you'll take a chance and take a listen and learn about some new musical artist. As always, I want to thank Dr. Mark Holland. He's been a great support to the show over the years. I'll uh, tag him and put some more information about Mark in the uh, in the show notes. You can find the show on SoundCloud, find it on Apple, uh, iTunes, uh, just you know wherever podcasts are. So they'll be out there. You know, go to your uh, podcasting station of choice. Check out Conversation with Calcaterra, Conversations with Calcaterra. Like us on Facebook and uh, other social media outlets and uh, like uh, like the friends and sponsors as well. I've included Craig's information in the uh, show notes and uh, you can check him out, follow him. He's been uh, He's been taking some cool photos around New York uh, it's a very different New York, not a lot of people on the streets, so he is uh, he's looking at it through a different lens. You know, really exciting, uh, scary times, but, uh, you know, we're, we're living through history right now. It'll be interesting to see how this is remembered 10, 20, 30 years from now. Well, that's enough for me. Uh, thank you for listening, and here it is, a new episode of Conversations with Calcaterra featuring my buddy, Craig Knobs. Craig, what's up, buddy? How are you? It's good to see you. Absolutely. So we're doing the uh, audio as well as we have a visual, but uh, for the sake of the podcast, it'll just be the audio for the viewers or listeners as it is. But just uh, imagine, just imagine it's a stunning video because let me tell you, truly, <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, it's good to see you. 
Uh, regardless of the quality of the video, but it's nice. This technology is great, so it's uh, good to uh, talk and have that visual as well. But uh, I guess first I want to ask you, what have you been watching or what, what type of media have you been consuming during this whole quarantine situation? Well, I just I decided to go back. I had watched the first season of Westworld <clears throat> when it first came out, and uh, I stayed off it for a while, but I thought this was a good time to go back and start at the beginning. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating journey. And I have to say the first time I, first time I watched the first season, the expectations I had, I liked it, but I sort of, it didn't quite hit me in the right way. But when I went back, I found it a much more fascinating journey. It's very layered. Yeah. I was blown away when the the first time I saw it and I am wanting to revisit just to see the things that I may have missed. And I don't want to give any spoilers, or we can give a spoiler alert if we want to talk about it. So, uh, spoiler alert, we may talk about some plots and things, everyone. So just, uh, you know, turn it off if you haven't seen Westworld. But uh, one thing, I mean, just the way they wove that story together, and as you said, it was so layered that, and I was blown away when I saw the ending. I was like, I cannot believe I didn't figure that out. They just crafted that story so well. They really did. They used uh, a number of different uh, structures uh, within the first season uh, to kind of put that all together. And I thought they did uh, a great job. And again, it is definitely something that lives up to rewatching, um, like shows like The Wire do and things like that. Oh, The Wire, amazing. Um, you, yeah, I mean, I've probably seen that five times all the way through. And it's every time you go through, you experience it in a different way. The first time you get the whole story, the next time you're talking about uh, systemic structures, you're going into more of the individual stories, but it's just, it's incredibly well-crafted. And I think Westworld is definitely one of those shows that can stand up to a lot of uh, rewatches as well. Absolutely. The, the new season is a little confusing, and I think that one for me is probably better to binge because from week to week, I mean, there's so much going on that I'm forgetting who some of these characters are. And I, I guess it's partly because I'm watching so many different things right now as I have a little more time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. that I'm, I'm hearing a lot of things about the third season. Some people are finding it uh, just not as um, enjoyable as the first. It uh, we're, We now know this world. We're outside of the world. What, what are your thoughts? Have you been watching the, the new season? I have been watching the new season, and uh, I timed my rewatch uh, at just the right timing in order to be able to jump into it on the week-to-week. So I am in that spot now where I'm waiting, which I agree with you. I enjoy the binge because, you know, that immediate satisfaction. Um, I think it's interesting. I think that they're very conscious of what they're doing structurally each season. I think they're working hard to, as I said, layer it, but to differentiate it from each season. And I think that one of the things that they try to do in each of the seasons and in slightly different ways is to create mystery and keep you a little bit off balance. And I think that when people are reacting to the first few episodes of the third season, I think they're doing that to uh, a greater extreme uh, without as much grounding. Um, and uh, But I, you know, I also... I'm caught up now and I feel like it's kind of coming together. So I think it's an effective technique though. I mean, you know, keep people leaning in. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's different enough. I think when you see too much of the same, it's like with Dexter, Dexter after I think it was the fourth season became too much of the same. And it was like, just, yeah, it just, it just definitely jumped the shark. The ending, I, I didn't find as satisfying. 
Uh, one show, and then speaking of Dexter, and this transitions me into Showtime, so I just picked up a, a trial pass because I wanted to catch up. I wanted to see the newest version or the newest uh, latest season of Shameless, and uh, that was not on Netflix. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to spring for Showtime. They had a free trial, so that was that was kind of cool at one point with through uh, like a Direct TV. So so that was kind of nice. And that was great. Yeah, yeah. So then I started watching. Uh, I finished up a few other shows. Um, I, oh man, I can't even think of the one with Don Cheadle. That uh, man. Oh yeah, what is that show? I haven't seen. It's got like a one-word title. Oh, I House think? of Lies. House of Lies. Oh, well, there you go. Not and then one. there's a new one called Black Monday, which I I started watching. And uh, but I I wanted to catch up on Ray Donovan as well. So in the past week, I, I'm now up to season five. And what right. I loved, and I wanted to tie, I don't know, are you familiar with that show? I've seen, I, was, I watched the first couple of seasons, um, but again, that was one of those ones that I wasn't able to finish at the time because it was still unfolding, mm-hmm. but I did see the first couple of seasons, so I definitely have a feel okay. for it. Yeah, so you have a feel for that. So what I love, so in, in the fifth season, they started out, it was completely different than anything that they've that they've done before. And it, right. it had so much mystery. And they were in, and I should know more terminology better. You, you probably helped me with that. But they started out, so you know something happens to one of the main characters. And right. they keep showing, they, they have scenes where you're thinking, oh, is that it? Is that it? Is that it? And it's none of that. And then they just, they just reveal it at some point. And uh, it just... Throughout, I think the first three episodes, it really kept me guessing, and then then they finally reveal it, and they just did it in a different way where uh, they stepped away from him dealing with, uh, you know, all more of the outside sources, you know, his clients that is helping that he that he's always helping, and focused uh, for a couple episodes mainly on the family dynamic, and it wasn't right. the usual uh, Mick is getting into this scheme. Uh, um, right. uh, Bunchy did this. So they switched it up enough where they focus on different characters. And it was, uh, I just thought it was fresh. And it just, uh, I'm trying to slow down with it because I'm enjoying it so much. I don't want it to be over because I have a couple more seasons left. And, uh, you know, I kind of want to savor it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's great. And I think when you do a longer form series, um, you owe it to yourself to explore all the different aspects of that world and all the different ways you can approach that world. I mean, number one, you have to, to uh, keep it alive and interesting. And number two, you've created this whole place. It's such an opportunity to explore ideas and people and the whole landscape. Absolutely. What's the term? Because it's not a MacGuffin where, where they're kind of showing you things they hint at something they show you another and it's completely the opposite of of what's happening but it kind of leads you to um kind of have an expectation of what's going on right right i mean you can have uh like in writing you can have uh reversals where you know for example you have an expectation of what you're watching um and then all of a sudden you're shown something else that then throws you back through the whole piece and makes you re-examine every aspect of it and it becomes something new because, oh, this was really the dynamic that was in play. I mean, a little like uh, Westworld and the end of the first season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, And that's, that, that's not a spoiler. I promise you it's not a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, if anyone out there hasn't seen Westworld, I mean, now's the time when, when you have a little bit more time. Check that out. It's an amazing show. I, I mean, I was satisfied with the second season, and I think yeah. the third I will be as well. Uh, but like I said, there's so much going on and jumping from week to week. 
normally like if it was a show um, like Silicon Valley on HBO, I enjoyed savoring that week to week and seeing what was going on. But it's just complex. I mean, the the writers for Westworld, I mean, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and I always give a lot of credit for when people are trying to push boundaries and really, really pushing their own talents to create an intricate structure and trust the audience. Because I would much rather have, in any work of art, I would m- much rather have somebody take a chance and maybe not quite achieve what they wanted to achieve. Um, <clears throat> because sometimes you will. And when you do, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you've written many features, but have you... Uh what kind of experience do you have in in television like that episodic that that goes over seasons have you have you done any of that have you ventured into yeah, it yeah i've written uh, i've written actually a number of pilots um none of them have been uh, filmed yet but uh, i've written a number of pilots so i've definitely explored um the structure of that mm-hmm. as well i think it would be fascinating to be in a writer's room or running a writer's room for that length of time collaborating with people to create that um, it's it's very cool. Two of the people I went to um, school with, I went to NYU for uh, dramatic writing, <clears throat> and two of the people I went to school with were, uh, um, you know, one of them is Jessica Goldberg, who had the show Hulu, on Hulu called The Path. Um, and then I have another friend, uh, Daniel, who's working in the um, uh, the marvelous Miss Maisel. Uh, I hear good room. hear good things about that show. Ha- haven't yeah. uh, haven't checked it out yet. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. I'll tell you what I thought was a really interesting watch, and I didn't watch it uh, during this current pandemic, but um, I watched uh, The Good Place, and um, I started off and I was watching, and I was like, okay, well, this is a network sitcomy kind of thing that normally, you know, I, I normally I probably wouldn't be watching as much, and then you know, and I watched, and I kept going, I kept going, and I thought. This is really fascinating. Did you see it? I have not. I've, I've heard about it. I see people posting on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, so the name has crossed my path, the title. So you should you should definitely watch it. It's fascinating. I give it so much credit because um, here was taking all these different philosophical ideas and concepts um, and finding a way to bring those across in a way that you're engaged emotionally with the characters and the journeys and everything. And it was just fascinating what they were able to do to shift that premise over the course of the season. So if you have a chance, check that out. Definitely. Definitely. Then there's that new, uh, prime has that Al Pacino show that, which is about the Nazi hunters back in the seventies. Right. That looks, right. that looks interesting. So I'll have to uh, check that out at some point. I mean, the good thing is I'm not spinning, every moment of my day uh, watching television, which it's, you know, I'm almost, it's almost to the point after three weeks or however long we've been going through that at this point, I think it's about three weeks that uh, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm kind of becoming numb to it a little bit. That's why I have to take a little bit of a break. So I'm uh, still enjoying what I'm watching and I'm not trying to watch everything either. So I'm, I'm picking and choosing. Well, I think it's, uh, I think you really become very acutely conscious when you're, you know, trapped inside of how many screens you end up looking at each day as you go from computer to phone to whatever else. Um, and I think it's good to take a break from that, you know, and especially in a time like this, when you've got, you know, all the news that you can track about everything that's going on, um, on a lot of different fronts, uh, it can definitely take over 
And I think that, you know, there are times when you have to know yourself well enough to be able to step away and give yourself that mental breathing space, especially if you're working on creative projects, Um, because otherwise you can just get too ratcheted up and uh, it's hard to get to those deeper places as you write. Absolutely. So how how are you taking advantage of this time in your writing? So as far as my writing goes, uh, I actually, you know, it's funny, I was working on sort of a let's just say post-event, if not Uh post-apocalyptic pilot. And uh, I decided that was a good time to kind of put that aside and let everything that's going on right now digest um, so that I can sort of think and feel my way through all of that to be able to add it uh, in a more interesting way uh, in the pilot that I was already working on. I'll, you know, I'll get back to it pretty soon, but I jumped off that to go try to complete a feature uh, for some of the deadlines that are coming up for contests in May. So um, I'm working on that right now, which is great. Okay, any uh, any rituals in, in your writing? Yes, definitely. Um, so my best time to write is uh, early in the morning. Um, ideally, uh, you know, get up around 5, 5.30 and make it as quickly as possible in front of the keyboard. Um, you know, for me, it's almost like going... You know, you, you're in a dream state as you're uh, as you're sleeping, and then you get up and you try to get in front of your screen as quickly as possible. You get your cup of coffee, and if you do it all exactly right, you bypass reality completely. You just wake up in the world of your script. Um, doesn't always work that way, so you have to adjust. But um, I can get you know ten times more done in the same amount of time in the morning um, <clears throat> than I can in the afternoon. That said. I've gotten to the point where I can pretty much write at any time, anywhere, if I need to, um, which is, you know, great to be able to manage yourself to be able to do that. And that's, you know, part of what I think being an artist is and being able to know yourself well enough to get the things out of you you need. Uh, being an artist is on some level about self-management. And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. Knowing yourself and knowing how to work who you are uh, to be able to get to the places you need to. Now, do you set a set amount of time to write in any given, any given time? Are you saying, Hey, I'm going to write for four hours. I'm going to sit here typing at the screen, no matter what I get is, are you that type of writer or how, how does that work for you? I'm kind of, I'm the writer who I like to show up as close to every day as I possibly can. Um, I had a friend who, uh, is in my writer's group and he wrote a, um, he wrote a, a, a book about comedy screenwriting and uh, he had a term that he used called ass in chair, uh, which I'm an advocate of. And I know there are all kinds of variations of it, but if you show up each day, even if on a given day you don't see output um, in terms of pages uh, or anything like that, you are still there in the process, working your way through. You're still living in that space. You're still brainstorming. You're still wrestling with something. Um, and I think that as long as you trust in that process and you keep going at it, um, eventually, you know, you see that stuff kind of break through in great ways sometimes. It's like going to the gym. You got to do it every day, exercise that muscle. That's absolutely right. And especially because, you know, what you're doing with each, you know, individual story is hopefully you're going on in such a unique journey that um, you're forging new paths and you have to untangle that. Um, and there's really no shortcut for that. Mm-hmm. What about um, as far as are you focused on one project at a time or in that, say, if it's for a four hour writing session and you're not feeling one project, are you jumping over to another? How, how do you go about 
juggling multiple projects? So here's what I do because I, I feel like um, <clears throat> I will juggle multiple projects, no question about it. Um, but there will be times when I focus primarily on one as I'm driving to a deadline. I mean, I also think that your subconscious is very tricky and uh, it can excite you about something that looks like a bright, shiny object to try to pull you out of what you're working on. So if I get a new idea, uh, for example, I'll just open up a Word document, jot down everything I know about it, close the Word document right away and get back to work. Absolutely. So what, uh, I mean, what are some of the, uh, what are some, some of your inspiration? Who are some of the writers that inspired you when you, when you started writing or maybe still inspire you today? Who, who are some of those people? Well, so uh, I come from a playwriting background, ah, uh, actually. I didn't know that um, about you. And yeah, so um, uh, I did. Uh, I did a lot of that uh, too, which is you know great to have as a foundation for uh, all kinds of screenwriting. Um, I one of uh, the first. I wrote some full length plays early on, <clears throat> and one of the big projects I did within that uh, was I did these adaptations of Anton Chekhov short stories. Uh, set in present-day New York, in modern New York. And what's fascinating about Chekhov, uh, he's certainly a huge inspiration. What's fascinating about him is that, you know, people know him as a playwright. They know him for his four big plays, you know, predominantly. But he was actually an amazing short story writer. And he, uh, contrary to the way that people have to approach being an artist, uh, you know, in uh, the world that we live in today, he actually put himself through medical school by writing short stories and supported his family by writing short stories. So if you go back, one of the things that comes through with Chekhov's work is just this humanity that breathes through every sentence, every word, every character, and the sharp wit uh, that comes through and is just insight and observation. Um, so he's definitely one he's a huge influence you know as far as screenwriting goes you know you've got um patty chayefsky in the movie network uh oh I yeah it's just yeah. brilliant you know people like uh charlie kaufman steven zalian um <clears throat> i love uh um michael clayton uh, is a great script tony gilroy i just think that's brilliant uh, and his brother Dan Gilroy did Nightcrawler, which is another, mm, another yeah, brilliant. yeah, that was an interesting watch. Yeah, 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 it's a really, and you know what? If you get a chance, go look at the script. It uses, it just goes from uh, the focus of the object to the shot um, as you go through the writing. You'll see it. It's a very, very different format. Well, looking at that, I mean, as far as you know, hopefully this will help young writers or maybe writers starting out or, or maybe somebody that's written a little bit. I mean, I'm. Uh, I, I don't know how I would categorize myself. I write a little bit. Uh, I'm probably a stronger editor, you know, more visual. So with me, like the dialogue is, I think my dialogue is not as strong. I think my plots are okay. Um, but looking at that, how important is it for young writers or, uh, you know, someone that's growing in the craft or even someone that's more experienced to read scripts? Because it's one thing watching a finished film, but it's another thing is, uh, I guess visualizing or really seeing the mechanics of what you saw in that film, how it looks on the page. How how important is that to to a screenwriter? I think it's incredibly important uh, to read scripts because not only are you seeing how visuals are rendered, um, you know, you're seeing how dialogue is rendered, but you're seeing in the format some of the clever ways that screenwriters have been able to 
put that across um, because, you know, screenplays are ultimately blueprints for films. So they're sort of a transitional document, but they're a work of art in and of themselves too, in the way that they're done and they can be incredibly well done. And one of the things that you want to do, in my opinion, uh, in a good screenplay uh, is you definitely want to, it's as though people are watching the movie, you know, like really taking you into that world, making you want to turn the next page, you know, and that's just something that you have to work on to get better and better at in terms of storytelling. And I think that reading scripts of all different genres and seeing the way that same format is rendered for all these different things is invaluable. Absolutely. How, how about adaptations? Because I'm one, you know, I'm an avid reader. I, I love just to read everything, biographies, nonfiction, novels, you know, whatever I can get my hands on. And I have waves of reading right now, more than my wave of television and, and viewing, a uh, little less reading right now. But have you adapted any other works? Uh, I have, actually. Um, so I, I did those Chekhov adaptations, which was really, really, really fascinating. And I produced it and I put it up and, you know, got reviewed and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it was great. Um I, I think that uh, with adaptations, and in, you know, one of the other projects I did, I had written uh, a pilot um, with somebody else, um, and uh, I adapted into a graphic novel, ah. uh, which was really, really fascinating. And um, <clears throat> the one thing I'll say about adaptations is that it's really, really interesting to go from form to form. And as you do that, I think you have to take the space to recognize why something works in one form and what and how you can make that same thing work in a different way in another form because if you're writing plays uh it's going to be driven more by the the dialogue mm -hmm. the words yeah. than uh, a film which is going to be driven more visually versus a graphic novel where you have to reconceive things in such a way that <clears throat> what is this panel going to look like in order to move this action along or put that idea in. Um, because you can't just say, as you would in a script, somebody walks across the room. No, they've got to have a panel where they're in one place, they're in another, but each of those panels has to be layered with meaning because you've only got a certain amount of time to be able to tell your story. So it's a really, really interesting process. And I think each of the forms has um, its strengths that you should try to play to. So for example, if you're writing a graphic novel, you know, I'm a producer too. You don't have to worry about budget. I mean, you have to worry about budget in terms of, you know, what you're doing for the artist and the yeah, lettering yeah. and all that kind of stuff and everything. But, you know, panel one, the universe explodes. You don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's something great, you know, in that. And I think that, um, you know, whereas, you know, like when you compare theater and film, um, you know, film, often doesn't have the tolerance for such long verbal passages. Sometimes it does. And that can be and incredibly Sorkin, well done. I mean, his, his work is, oh man, it's hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, and he writes these scripts that are, you know, he'll write a 162 <laughs> page script and, you know, it comes out to the perfect two hour movie. You can certainly do that. And Patty Chayefsky, you know, and his movie network is a really great yeah. example uh, of doing that, but you have to set that up because, we are all so well versed in watching so many different media forms that, uh, you know, you, you have to be very careful about staying ahead of uh, the viewer. Um, but, you know, with something like plays, you can, 
you, that's what they're built on. So you can use those tools mm-hmm. differently. And I think that the more that you can recognize that, um, you know, the more unique an experience you can create. Absolutely. What was the, um, and I was trying to look it up with the Sorkin project. It was HBO, uh, Jeff Daniels, the, the uh, newsroom, the newsroom. I couldn't even, yeah. I guess once you said network, it, it threw me off. The newsroom was that opening scene in the newsroom where he's yep. criticizing the media is like one of the most brilliant scenes, uh, you know, out there. It's you start out, you know who this character is. He's just the dialogue is just incredible. It's so crisp. He's he's boom, boom, boom. And it's it's like that's something that just draws you into that. And he did great with establishing the characters in that. There's so many great characters in that yeah. show. I loved it. Yeah, no, no, no. It was great. And that opening scene is a perfect example of what you're talking about. I mean, and you know, when you look at our political landscape that we have uh, you know, in this country over the past few decades, um you know, that the articulation of that speech uh, felt so powerful uh, and fresh because it's not as though some of those ideas weren't part of a larger dialogue, mm-hmm. but they were so uh, just smartly executed in that, that, you know, I feel like it really did have an impact. Absolutely. Yeah, he is. He is an amazing storyteller and just coming from he that is. from that playwriting background. So. You know, immediately when you had mentioned that, yeah, he he came to mind. Um, yeah, no, no question about it. No, he's great. He's great. I really, I love The West Wing. I think his screenwriting is great. Um, I was actually just watching the beginning of uh, The Social Network. Uh, oh yeah. Yesterday, as I was on the exercise bike in quarantine. You know, luckily I had a fold up exercise bike. So yeah, yeah, nice. I'm good. <laughs> That's one thing I I had one in the past. You know that I bought. Once I got out of the Navy, I, I used to on our ship, we had these these great bikes. And I thought, you know what, let me get one. So had a little money, probably wasted money. But the cool thing of having it was I could watch movies or television or concerts and really kind of work on my craft as I was exercising. And I am really missing it because it just, it just, you know, something's wrong, electronics. And I'm thinking like, okay, I need to get something more basic and had not pulled the trigger on it. And now I'm thinking, oh, that would be so great to have. So yeah, I'm, listen, you know what? I got a, I got a link for a $100 one that folds up and sits in the corner. It's perfect. I'll send it to you. It's going to change your life. Outstanding. Because, yeah, it's nice. I mean, this television I'm watching, one thing that I have done, I'm trying to be productive is I've been organizing hard drives. You can appreciate this. So I have so much I, media from from video projects and duplicates and photos from my dad's computer and and all all this so it's been cool to get that all fixed up and ready to go and so i'm happy about that and i had on some different shows as i was doing it and so of course i was mainly just absorbing the dialogue i could get most of the story and of course if it was an action sequence i could take a little break and check it out but um yeah, and apparently I have an unca- unstable internet connection. I'll have to figure that out at some point. But <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we will we'll, we'll be okay with that. But yeah, so, since, since I do IT work, uh, you know, as well, just make sure that you're on your five G version uh, as opposed to the two point four connection. You'll get the faster connection. Okay, got you. Have to look into that in the future, but we'll we'll hang in there now. But uh, yeah, that's what it's one thing I think is a good exercise as well, and that's what I'm looking to adapt 
a short story that I, I read in graduate school and wrote a little review on, and, and I can't get it out of my head. And I want to start, I've been thinking about adapting it, and I haven't sat down to do it. But I'm thinking now that all these other things, getting the house organized and the hard drives and all my physical world going, that I, I'm hoping that I'll be able to sit down and, and adapt this story. I don't have any permissions, but if worst case scenario, I think it'd be a great exercise in writing and, and taking you know taking somebody else's work and figuring out how to structure it in that screenplay format. Well, I, I think that's great, um, but there's no reason for you, and I'd say this to anybody who was doing the same thing, try to reach out and talk to the author about getting the rights or getting the opportunity, if they're not adapting it in the screen form, to say, you know, give me a no money option and we can both see what it looks like. And if you approve, we can go on. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking it is, uh, you know, I might be putting the cart before the horse just as far as the exercise and then seeing yeah, like, hey, look, look what I've done. Check it out. I'd like to make this because it's, you know, a short project. Yeah, um, but right. um, yeah, yeah, that's a, an interesting process. And with Twitter and everything, it should be easy enough. But this guy is off the grid. This, this author, his name's Adam Johnson, and yeah, he, cool. he wrote a cool book called Emporium. And it's all and that that book was written in '99, and uh, it's basically a lot of what we're seeing now in current society. With wow. it's it's just like um, uh, not yeah like this uh, dystopic society and and things like that. He has it's a short story compilation. You should check it out. I'd be interested okay, to see, see what you out. think about it. I'll have to email you uh, just to give you a reminder. That sounds great. Yeah, as far as any. Um, adaptions is in one thing you know i've looked at i picked up a book called the godfather notebook which was francis ford coppola's notes when he wrote when he adapted the godfather um what uh as far as what adaptions have you have you looked at that you find is like hey this was a great adaption from this novel and it stayed true and any that stand out in your mind well, I would say, um, so I'm going to go from theater first. Okay, cool. Uh, since uh, I come, I think I think two of the better, maybe the best uh, play to film adaptations are uh, Amadeus, uh, which I think was a, a wonderful, just total reimagining. I didn't realize uh, that was that a play. play. I saw that the was play. Okay, outstanding. That, that was a play. Glengarry Glen Ross. Yes. Um, I think, you know, one of the things you always have to think about as you're going from the stage to film is you certainly don't want people to feel like there's a feeling that this was a play, that you are trapped in a room, that you become conscious of devices that might work on the stage because you're perceiving it in that way. But in film, you're looking for more of a realistic immersion. Um, you know, that said, there can be plays like that that, uh, that do work. There was one called uh, Tape uh, that had... Uh, Uma Thurman and um, Ethan Hawke, and uh, I will think of his name in a moment. Uh, he was in House. Uh, oh, wow. what's his name? He was. Oh, um, oh God, I can't believe I can't think of this. Yeah, my, uh, three, I'm blanking. Three name, it's a it's a three name person. Yeah, uh, well, Robert Sean Lennon. Okay, gotcha. Robert Sean Lennon. But anyway, Tape is a great example of uh, Stephen Bellberg written this play. Um, that takes place in a room, feels like a play. Um, and, uh, you know, the concept of the piece is such that it needs to take, uh, take place in that. But it, they, you know, did a really good job 
I think Richard Linklater directed that. Oh, and, uh, fantastic. did a really good job of finding the camera angles to make that still feel alive and be able to take advantage of that so uh, you get the added tension and claustrophobia of, um, <clears throat> you know, what the, from the original structure. Yeah, he did a good job as far as remaking the Bad News Bears. On, yeah. On modernizing it and keeping it, keeping the same vibe. And uh, I watched that with my niece and nephew, and they they love it. And, you know, oh my prob- god! Prob- and the original, <laughs> the original is so good. The original is classic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think they're both they're both pretty strong. And a lot of times, when you have a classic like the original Bad News Bears, to see a remake, usually, uh, I mean, in most cases, it's going to be a letdown. Right. In that sure. case, he did such a good job. And so I'll yeah. flip back. We and then we we watched that version, and then we went back and watched the original, and they both they both held up pretty well. Well, I think it's you know that that brings up a really really good point. I think the reason sometimes um, <clears throat> you know reworking something can work is there has to be a reason for it. There has to be an idea. Do you know what I mean? There has, yeah, to, yeah. There has to be a reason to revisit it. Um, otherwise. You know, it just feels like, okay, we're making this because it worked originally the first time, but it's not saying something new about the time that we're living in at the moment. Um, And I think that if you don't take the time to kind of explore that or find why you want to do it and what the inspiration is and dig a little deeper in that, you miss miss out on a writing opportunity. That's a great point. Yeah, modernizing and adding current events and uh, things, you know, current elements of society that people can recognize yeah and what is what is the you know what is it that this piece said about the time it was originally created in and what is that kind of a piece saying about the world that we're living in now and sometimes you can get uh, a really interesting juxtaposition uh, and get something out of that you know in the way that you're approaching things in sort of a similar fashion but the reason it plays differently is uh, showing us the difference in the times that we were living in then and living in now. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other remakes that you found were like, wow, that, that blew me away. That's, you know, they did a good job. I mean, as far as a classic now, some movies, I think, well, let's, let's, let's do this. It'll be fun. Let's go like the top five films that should never be remade. (laughs) Because I'm oh hearing God. this on, <laughs> on like Facebook, I'll see like they're gonna like somebody mentioned. Hey, there's talks of remaking Back to the Future, and to right. me, I say no. Do not right. make I Back agree. to the Future. That is like still it holds up. It's you know great movie, one of the greatest. Probably I don't really have a, my own top ten list, but that has to be in there. Uh, I wouldn't do. Oh, I don't know, a shot-for-shot shot remake of Star Wars. I think that would probably fall flat. Yeah, yeah. Um, movies like movies just that were really well-constructed and really have the feel of uh, the creative people and, you know, work at it. Something like Alien. Alien's a great example, mm-hmm. right? You can do – people have done a million different rip-offs of Alien. Yeah. But, uh, two things I'd say. Alien, if you read the script, it's amazing. It's like haiku, mm-hmm. the way it's written. It's like Interesting. Poetry. Yeah, it's really fascinating. It's totally worth a read. And again, as we were saying before, this is why it's so important to go read all these different screenplays by all these different writers, because you see all the different ways to evoke 
something in the reader to inspire all the people who are going to be building sets, creating costumes, sound design, cinematography. The more that you're able to articulate that feel and bring people into that, the more when you produce a project, you're working on the same page. And that's, that's absolutely invaluable. Um, I would say movies that worked really, really well the first time, things like in all different genres and, you know, like the action genre and Die Hard, you know, or something which, again, is a great script. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of a, a, a text for that kind of a film. Yeah. I think I would pre I would maybe go at it, you know, from the other direction and say the burden of proof is on the person who wants to remake. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you are going to remake it, you know, what's your reason? Yeah, yeah. It's like covering you know, I mean, a... It, if it didn't work the first time, then go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a, some movies that work so well, but it's almost like covering a song. If you're going to cover a song, make it your own. And exactly. don't don't just cover it and do the exact same thing that was in the original song. And one of a cover that I like, and I didn't really know the original song, which is great, it's Depeche Mode's enjoy the silence there's mm -hmm. this italian band this metal band called lacuna coil and their version is just amazing and, and they're both so different that i enjoy listening to them both at different times so yeah. I, I think if yeah like like you'd stated if you're going to have something new to say and and do it so different but keep some of the you know some you know some of the anchor points then yeah then it could be a great film but yeah, 100%. And I think music is, uh, you know, is is the perfect analogy there. You know, no question about it. I mean, you you hear, you really see it when somebody remakes a song and they do it too close to what the original version is and didn't have a reason for doing it in a slightly different way. There's always a sense of disappointment about that. I mean, it could be a powerful performance, mm -hmm. but yeah. it's much more interesting when it takes you someplace else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so we're on the music front now. Oh, first of all, let's go back to dialogue. I mean, Die Hard real quick. Did you watch the uh, on Netflix? They have the movies that made us. Did you watch the documentary? I did. On Die Hard? I did. I watched both the Die Hard and the Ghostbusters one. Yeah, I watched the Home Alone as well. And those were so amazing because there were so many elements and so well done that I didn't know. Like, for instance, because when we were at Austin, when we went to the um, uh, screenwriters conference where we met, they had, what was it, Shane Black was talking. It was Shane Black and then the writer of Die Hard, whose name I can't remember. Um, um, it's, uh, there were two of them. It's uh, Jeb Stewart. Jeb Stewart, yeah. And um, uh, the other writer is... <laughs> you know that's that's okay but he picked it up so jeb stewart wrote the original and he adapted it from a novel right. and so he was talking with shane black on that panel and yeah. then of course i didn't realize uh that then they the studio brought in that other writer and he yeah. was he was writing on the fly as they were filming yeah. and it was just so amazing just some of the things that they came up with or maybe the actors were riffing on something and then he would take that and, and then he would write it into the script. And right. I mean, just, I had no idea. And it was just so amazing just for a, an iconic movie that I've watched over and over to learn that uh, about it. Cause sometimes you think it's, everything's perfect. You have to have it perfect in the script, but oftentimes what is on the screen is not what was in the first draft or even the draft that was sold to be made. So, well, coming from a producing standpoint, let me tell you, no, it's not 
most of the time there's going to be, you know, they, they, you, you got to roll with the punches as you go through. Yeah. You start with the script and everything. Um, and it, you know, you shouldn't feel that pressure for it to be, you, you want the script to be uh, absolutely tight and rock solid and everything, but absolutely. as you go into production, uh, it's interesting because there'll be things that you have to deal with that are unexpected. And from a producing standpoint, which I, I really enjoy producing, um, I look at those as opportunities for uh, more creativity, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to say, okay, these are the limitations that we have, uh, you know, based on, you know, we got rained out on weather or we've got to shoot it in this space. And we thought it was going to be this, we're not getting this, we're getting, you know, I always think that's such a great opportunity to go back to the crux of the dramatic, mm -hmm. dramatic material in that moment and to say, okay, what's another way that we can inform that? and bring that across. Is this a chance for, you know, another opportunity? Absolutely. Yeah, it's just quite interesting just looking at what is actually happening and watching those behind-the-scenes reels, and, and that show is just like the bee's knees as far as behind-the-scenes. I loved it in the Home Alone episode. They talked about how they built essentially the house, and, well, essentially John Hughes built a studio in at high school, in a closed-down oh, wow. high school in the gym. So they had built the house in in this gym, and he did it for a lot of films shooting in Chicago, and it was amazing. It's just cool to you know realize those behind the scenes elements that that you may not have known. Well, I, you know, I mean, there's part of me that as a film fan, you know, in addition to being you know a screenwriter, you know, I I kind of want to hear every one of the full stories of yeah. how every film is made and the process because you know I know that it can be you know, incredibly uh, different. And you do get, you know, bits and pieces of that. Uh -huh. So like the series that you're talking about and we don't get everything. So when you do get uh -huh. that kind of stuff, uh, it's riveting. And what's really cool about that is that the films they're covering are the ones that, that we watch growing up. So yeah. before we realize what this was all about. So there's still yeah. something in my head and in my heart about these films. And then to see that it's just like, whoa. That's super yeah. cool. Super cool. Yeah. So yeah, everybody listening out there, you know, check that series out if you haven't. But back over to music. So you on Facebook had nominated me for like the the ten albums <laughs> that uh, that influenced my listening, and I and that's a tough one. I'm thinking back because my listening tastes are ever changing, and so yeah. there's some albums that I may have discovered maybe like three or four years ago that have adjusted that. Uh, and and then some when I was growing up, so that's that's an interesting exercise. And it took me, it took this pandemic for me to sit down. I was so busy when you originally tagged me, and then I, I kind of lost track of it. But I had a note on my to do list, you know, the, the Craig Knobs, um, you know, album thing. And so finally, I'm I'm looking at that and catching up. And it's like, okay, we're gonna do this podcast, which we've been talking about forever. And it's like, all right, I have to get I have to get linked into these these albums. What are some of the, let's talk about some of the albums or some of the music that has really influenced you, or maybe even some of the albums that you listen to that influence your writing? Wow, that's really cool. Um, yeah, so I've got a pretty broad uh, musical taste. I'm not so much into, you know, country music per se, but most other kind of genres I can definitely lean into. Um, you know, it's interesting. I have a, a script that uh, I'd written quite a while ago that I was taking notes on doing another pass on. And um, 
I was listening to, so Peter Gabriel, I think is an interesting artist at all different phases of his career. Absolutely. You know, I say that from, uh, you know, when I was younger, I remember listening to so, and just, you know, and, and all of his albums Mm -hmm. before that, after he left Genesis and, you know, and stuff like that. But I think that's, you know, I think he's really, he's really, really interesting. Anyway, I had found um, some instrumental versions that he'd done of a lot of his songs. Um, So, you know, again, here he is rendering his music, but reconceiving it, uh, you know, um, at the same time. And I found those, I created a whole playlist in Spotify as sort of the backdrop for um, that piece as I was reimagining it because it just, it, it hit some really interesting moments that could be translated emotionally uh, into the script. So there are scripts where I will put together playlists to run in the background. Um, a lot of the time I, I write without music, without anything. Um, but I think music is an incredibly powerful uh, source and inspiration. Um, I'm a big jazz fan, love jazz. Um, and one of the jobs that I had when I was younger is I worked uh, for Sony Music <clears throat> and I worked in the archives in Sony Music. So we were doing a database of all the old musical information, which if you go to the Sony site now, that will be you know, the information that we were putting in. But what was cool about that was that I had access to all the original vinyl records back wow. there, you know, and everything. And you could go back and you could see the history and you could see the stories of, um, you know, some of these bands or these artists. So like you'd have cards that were singles and then the, you know, and then here's the card for, you know, the album and you're entering all this information. So you could almost see, you know, the tragic tale of this person who was like, I got signed to a big label. This is going to be my big break. And all they have is the one single. They wow. never made it to an album. Yeah. Well, it's a single yeah. and an album and that was it. Um, but uh, I, I'm a big fan of uh, jazz, classical, blues, you know, all different kinds of rock, um, you know, just all kinds of things and incredibly open to any kind of musical structure. Outstanding. Yes. Yeah, so was one of those albums that just a lot of great songs, great theme. It was just, you know, I think you look at the iconic musicians and the bands that are still around and they have usually those one or two albums. I don't know if you would say peak, but these like really signature albums. I'd rather say signature because it's such an, you know, there's many peaks and valleys in, in entertainment and artistry. Sure. But uh, you just have those signature albums. And I think for him, so it was definitely one of those. I'll tell you an interesting story about that album. <clears throat> So the first time I started writing uh, was I started writing. I mean, I, you know, I wrote, I knew I, you know, and I knew I could do it for different projects as I was growing up in school and everything. But as a teenager, uh, I sort of started writing and it came out as poetry as it does for, you know, a lot of different teenagers and everything. But as I went on, I was kind of playing with the craft. Um, uh, I saw some really, really interesting things there, and I still occasionally uh, write some poetry as well. But going back to the album So, <clears throat> that album actually made me discover Anne Sexton, the poet. And she's a fascinating, uh, she's a fascinating poet. You should go check out uh, her work. But one of, the al- one of the songs on the album is called Mercy Street. And it's all about her and her relationship with her father, 
And, you know, she was somebody who, um, you know, she was sort of a, uh, she was somebody who was kind of a housewife and ended up, you know, writing poetry and then exploring, you know, more uh, through that. But she's a really, really interesting uh, poet. So Peter Gabriel gave me that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, somebody had mentioned, uh, do some work, uh, you know, do a lot of freelance video work. And someone mentioned Pablo Neruda. Oh, he's great. Yeah. So I haven't really dug into his writing, but, you know, on my list as as the uh, physical things, the uh, house and all those kind of things are, are getting more done. I don't see us getting out of this any time. Well, I mean, hopefully sooner than later, but uh, it looks like at least till May. Uh, you're in New York. Let's talk a little bit, you know, current current affairs. How are things looking in, in New York right now with uh, with what's going on? Well, you've got a lot of people who, I mean, we've definitely adjusted, you know, um, New Yorkers are very um, resilient. Absolutely. And uh, adjust, um, you know, and try to uh, approach things uh, with a certain fortitude and a sense of humor at times, if at all possible. Um, It's, you know, I think everybody is adjusted to, you know, staying in and staying at home. If you walk out on the streets, you will see people. Um, you see people who are, most of the people are social distancing as they should. Some people walking down the street and you're like, hey, hey, could you walk a little closer to the wall? <laughs> I don't want to have to step out into, uh, you know. Into yes, the in the middle of the street. Like yeah, unfortunately, not a lot of car, you know, less cars right now, but still. I right. Mean, I mean, a lot of people, uh, in you know, we're, we're communicating now in little boxes on a screen and that seems to be the way that we're doing, uh, you know, most of our socializing. Um, so uh, my wife and I stay in, uh, we've got our own little, we work thing going on here. So she's working in her part and I'm working in my part and we're getting, you know, getting stuff done. And I think everybody's kind of, you know, adjusted. Yeah. Um, when I, uh, to break that, I will go out, I'll take walks and I'm a photographer too. So I, um, have used this opportunity to, uh, uh, explore and take pictures of the city while it's in this state, um, which is really, really fascinating, really fascinating just to see, uh, the empty streets, um, you know, uh, just there's a, there's a real feel to it uh, as you go through. So again, that's the kind of thing that I'm absorbing uh, to kind of let digest as I go back to my post-apocalyptic or my post-event pilot, um, which, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff like living through that stuff and being able to bring that in a very vivid way uh, and live through it, uh, I think makes such a huge difference. One observation, and I love reading history, I've um, just always been fascinated. And of course, what you're reading are, are the highlights. And looking at this situation, you wonder how, uh, you know, it, it doesn't compare to a lot of elements, which like if you looked at, like, how was it with Anne Frank in in the attic? I mean, I mean, yeah. no, there was... A, in some areas of the country, this is, uh, I mean, worse than others. But then looking at that situation, I mean, horrible. But you just wonder day to day, you know, how things were day to day. And looking at things now, when we read something in history or we see it on a film, it's just much, you know, it's much more dramatic when we're reading right. it in a book or we're seeing it through someone else's artistic vision. And I'm looking at this, and I'm wondering how this is going to be written in history. And living through it, I mean, it's not 
is horrible now. Now, now granted, I think the story, what would be an interesting story or, or screenplay would be Definitely. these doctors and nurses and the ERs. I mean, yep. that is different than like the regular people. I mean, I'm we're, we're fortunate we're doing this podcast here. I've been watching right. Ray Donovan. You know, there's probably more things I could do to help the community. Right now in St. Louis, we're not hit that hard, but I know there, there's groups of people I know that are delivering groceries to senior citizens, uh, things of that nature. I, I think at some point, once we find out what, who has these antibodies, I, I think it may be, you know, you know a little bit more to, to go out. Or we could just say, you know what, you know, screw it. I'm going to go out and, and do it regardless and take a chance to help the community. But, right. Uh, I, I, think, I think at the moment we're at that stage right now, at least, uh, you know, here in New York, obviously everybody's trying, and around the world, everybody's trying to flatten the curve. And Absolutely. You know, the immediate concern with the flattening the curve is obviously not overloading the hospitals because as you overload the hospitals, then you have to make, stark decisions that um, you know are really horrific and so as much of that as we can avoid you know the better and the smarter that we can be about that you know about that the better but looking on the other side of this i mean if you think about it you're not going to we don't have if you take the united states for example we don't have the testing at the level we would need it to be able to isolate the people that have it and know where people are and be able to get out of it that way. Yeah. You know, we're not, you know, we haven't been doing that. That's not the approach that we've had, you know, and if you don't have that, then every time you try to change the approach that we have in terms of flattening the curve, you're risking further infection because you don't know what you're dealing with and you haven't established any kind of herd immunity. And with 327 million people in the United States with the way that we've approached it, I don't know how we get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Without a lot of loss of life. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, the, the, only, the other way out is if there really is a vaccine and that gets us out. But I think this is going to go on for quite a while. But we look at and we look at historically, I mean, some sources I'm seeing are saying, yeah, yeah, well, you know, herd immunity, that's the quickest way to get there. But when we look at like the back in 1918 so there was a big flu virus st louis historically you know they were able to keep the curb down so they did did a lot of this and so there was less loss of life but but even so when we look back at, at those times uh what 100 years ago i mean it was like a little different i mean most people were in bigger cities but then we had a lot of people in rural areas um right. it was a different landscape and i don't even know how to look at the numbers but what the population was so if you're right. losing 2% of 100 million versus 2% of a billion or, you know, whatever the situation is, I mean, that's, those are huge numbers. And I mean, just looking at it on an individual basis, I get like, okay, the herd immunity situation that, that, you know, something that has worked historically, but now we have new technologies. So it's almost, I mean, it's scary with, with the economy and everything. I, I don't know what the right answer is, you know, otherwise I wouldn't be you know having this podcast somewhere else but you know of course we as artists and you know as citizens can talk about these things and hopefully we're uh, through these conversations we're educating our, ourselves but it's yeah yeah it's 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 kind of scary and who knows how many people have had it and, right. because it's asymptomatic so we may have created some of that herd immunity you, you know just when we were out there, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's really interesting. 
Well, I'd say I'd say two things. Um, I would say to your last point uh, about who knows how many people have had it. I mean, you have uh, here in New York, there are reports of people dying at home. Mm-hmm. And because people are overloaded in terms of the services, they're not necessarily testing for yeah. COVID-19. Good point. So yeah. those statistics, you know, aren't showing up, which means likely uh, the numbers are even higher. Um, I think... It, in this circumstance, you have the opportunity, obviously, to look at how each country has dealt with things. And, um, you know, there have obviously been uh, circumstances that have been much more effective than others. Um, so South Korea is a great example where they maximized testing. And so as a result, they were able to track the people who had it and who they had been in contact with. And, um you know, that was an approach they took from the very beginning. So I think they were able to minimize uh, a lot more, you know, and places like Germany uh, that took an intelligent approach mm-hmm. and uh, certainly could be in an even worse situation that they're in now. So, you know, I just think we keep moving through and try to be as smart as possible and make sure that the people who are fighting this have all the resources they need. Absolutely. And maybe, I mean, this is a situation we, we watch. You had mentioned you're writing the post-apocalyptic zombie pilot. And we've seen, we've seen uh, like World War Z is a great example of something. And I just read that book probably January, uh, not even thinking about all this or we would be dealing with uh, something on a global scale, nothing like that. But the writing was brilliant. And Max Brooks is one who is so intelligent that it ultimately through his narrative is, is, you know, writing a playbook. And of, of course, that's why he is, he's on all these councils and boards and talking to all these people and helping to establish the real playbooks. Um, you know, I, I think this is almost what we're going through now is almost like maybe a boot camp or is like the trial of something that could be much worse. So looking right. at history, how we do, how governments handle this is essentially, I think we're writing the playbook now for future incidents. And as global warming or climate change, as we're seeing all this ice melting, and I think there's a chance we're going to see some of these ancient viruses and ancient bacteria that we haven't dealt with. And, and that's going to be a whole new situation of how do we get viruses? How do we get immunity? So I'm all for let's what, you know, let's put some money into looking at those and figuring out how to curb that before it even becomes a thing. I mean, they, they're yeah. able to get yeah. samples and, and, to, and everything. And to have, you know, just to make sure that we, continually learn as much as we can to create game plans to, you know, approach these things because when they come, as we can see now, it's not something that you can wish away. Absolutely not. So this is interesting. This is interesting. Now, had you, and I'm trying to remember if it was you or someone else, did you um, do some work with Max Brooks or you, are you familiar with this work? Or I forget. It's actually, I, I don't know Max, but uh, I had worked as an associate producer and uh, production manager on Nick Brooks, uh, another one of Mel's sons, okay. uh, his feature film. Uh, and so I met Nick and Nick and I worked on a couple of projects together too, um, which is great. And uh, you know, he and I are good friends. Oh, right on. Yeah. I knew I heard the name Brooks and it's just, it's amazing guys like Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner and the yep. year, the year that uh, I went to the Austin uh, conference, Carl, or no, not Carl Reiner. It was um, Norman Lear. He was one of the panels and that was amazing. And it's so cool how these guys 
are you know, nearing a hundred. They're in their like mid to late nineties, right? Is that correct? Or early nineties? And yeah. they're they're still creating the and they're still living life. I saw this uh, Max Brooks had on his social media where he was outside his dad's house and his dad was like, "Ah, get out of here!" And it was just it's so cool how how these you know these iconic writers and creators are still doing some things. Uh, it's just amazing. It just you know gives you hope that keeping active that you can still do things later in life. So it's it's really neat. Oh, there! It, it, it's just, it's incredible. We had um, a screening of the film, um, of Nick's film, Sam, um, <clears throat> in uh, Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I had, and I actually also produced um, uh, um, the film of Nick's niece, uh, you know, her, her first short film. Um, and we had done a screening of that uh, in New York before that. But uh, when I was out in California, I had a chance to actually be in a room with uh, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. Whoa, that's awesome. All hanging out, talking. And so, you know, there's that moment of just, you know, kind of rising by herself, looking down and going, how am I in this circumstance? Legends. <laughs> yeah, those guys yeah, are no, legends. And, and let me wow. tell you, just uh, just extraordinary people. Yeah. Very humble. Very humble. Yeah. Very, you know, looking at the greater good. Just, yeah, just genuine human beings. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That is you Wonderful know, amazing, people. amazing people. Um, yeah. I mean, that's most of my notes that I have. Anything else you want to talk about? Any, any other uh, filmmakers you want to, you want to talk about? We can, that we can promote here on, on this conversation. What? Wow. That's a, that's a really good question. I would have to think about that. I mean, I, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is uh, you know, again, it's so good to see you. This is, as I had said before we uh, got on this, this is the first time we've had a chance to see each other <clears throat> quote unquote face to face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a few phone conversations and you know, the occasional, the Facebook messages and things like that. Yeah. hundred uh, percent keeping, you know, keeping abreast of each other in terms of social media, watching as, you know, scripts move forward and contests or, you know, things happen and stuff like that. So, um, but it's just, you know, such a pleasure to catch up and, uh, you know, and uh, get to catch up and talk to you. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to, uh, you know, feel free anytime to send anything my way to read. And uh, I'm definitely going to pick up a few scripts and, and read those. And I just need to get writing is, is uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a natural thing for me, but uh, I appreciate all your encouragement. And I just know I just have to keep doing it because the little that I've done, I, I mean, I have done some decent things, but too much of a perfectionist I am. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, that's the thing that, I mean, that's a really good point. I guess maybe that's the last thing I'll talk about is like, don't let the perfectionist, you know, the perfectionism be crippling. I mean, at all, because you need to, uh, you know, especially as you're going through first drafts, give yeah. yourself the space to let it be what it's going to be. And um, because you're going to have to go back and rewrite it multiple times anyway, and, uh, you know, the more that you're able to open yourself up and put that stuff out there, the more material you've got to work with. Yeah. And so it, that is, would be, it is, it is the would be process. My recommendation. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is a process. And I didn't realize that early on, it seemed like everything right away is, you know, going to be great. And it is not the case. I mean, look at all the great projects. We look at how many times they've been rewritten and then you pull somebody else in and notes and, and notes are something that I, I think, you know, I've learned that get as many notes as possible. 
and yeah. see what works. So you you were um, great in helping me learn that. So oh, yeah, there's well, a lot, you. man. There's just a, a lot of great things talking with people, learning, and, and I'll just end it on this. I, I for all of you out there who artists in in whatever you know genre it is, you know writing, uh, film. The you know the, the screenwriters conference was I think just an amazing experience in meeting people, uh, meeting other artists, learning from the panels, uh, just uh, getting the work read. So I would highly recommend to anyone out there that that has a script and that wants to make a film, one get your script, make it as bulletproof as possible, uh, because it costs so much time and energy to make a film that he's uh, you know have that script as good as possible because it's uh it's heartbreaking if when you make the film and it, and somebody's like hey you know it was it's a good film but the you know script could have been better like whoa you have that time to do it with with out spending all that money so definitely look at the Austin film or the screenwriters conference the, to me that was one of the greatest experiences of my life and I guess regardless of if I write anything or not I just have to get down there just to hang out with you and Absolutely. Other great friends that I met, you know, I just I keep thinking I oh, I need to write something and take it down there. No, I just gonna have to go, and I think that will inspire me to write if I'm not writing. I think it's also uh, you know just just uh, take that space uh, for yourself, you know, to live in that um, creative space uh, to allow yourself to move through the writing process because it is you know it's a long process. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your friendship and your advice. And this was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. (laughs) 